What does the Apostle Paul, John Bunyan, and Martin Luther King Jr. all have in common? They all spent time in prison. But even more than that, they all wrote world-changing letters or, or books from prison, right? Martin Luther King Jr. wrote the letter from the Birmingham jail to other pastors, urging them to, to not just sit on the sidelines in the, in the civil rights movement. And if you go back in time, about 400 years, you get to John Bunyan, who sat in another jail in Bedford, England. And, and during his 12 years in jail, he wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, which other than the Bible has had a greater impact, been translated in more, more languages than any other, any other book in, the, in, in history. And then, of course, the Apostle Paul, who, who wrote what we call the prison epistles, the Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon from jail. And, of course, each of these letters, these epistles, have some incredibly liberating themes that Paul was able to write, uh, themes of, of great spiritual liberation to our hearts, even as he was behind, behind bars. So, Prisons are, are, are difficult, generally miserable places, but in God's sovereignty, he uses prison in his work of redemption in, in more ways than one. So sometimes Christians, through their unjust suffering in prison, have been able to inspire many thousands of people to faith in, in Christ. But sometimes jail is a place of God's tough love. A place where he, he calls people to himself through repentance and faith by, by bringing them to a place where they, they meet his, his holy justice, but, but also see his, his holy grace. One, one of my dear friends, um, my, my old roommate in college, and, and really probably when I think of my, the, the arc of my life, really my, my best friend, we've been, he was my best man in my wedding, we've been friends for almost 30 years now, um, Bob, he, he spent, he's actually spent the last 20 years of his life uh, in a volunteer jail ministry in a, in, a, in, a, in a maximum security prison in South Carolina, and I've had a chance to go in with him a few times. And he ministers to a group of men who call themselves the CIA, the, the Christians in action, all right? And most of these guys have multiple life sentences, but they've met Jesus, and they love Jesus. And I've gone in with him several times over the years. Um, back when I was serving overseas, um, I remember meeting one guy who was actually from Lebanon, and his neck was like the size of a cedar. All right, this guy, he could have he just broken mine with one arm tied behind his back. This guy was just a monster, huge, just muscles bulging from everywhere. And I was, I came and, and, and he and the members of the CIA there at Broad River Correctional Institution in South Carolina, they had been praying for me for three years in Afghanistan for my family. Bob would, would bring, they had no internet connection or anything like that, but Bob would bring newsletters that I'd sent in and read them to them every week. And they would pray for me. And I went in there, and these guys knew, had been tracking more closely, frankly, than a lot of people in my home church had. This guy came up to me afterwards and he said with tears in his eyes, can I come join your team when I get out of here? 
And I believe, I'll be honest with you, I was, a little, I was a little bit nervous. Like, I wasn't quite sure what to say. Like, if I, if I say yes, I don't, I don't want to say no. You know, I don't want him to, like, break my neck, right? But if I said yes, I don't want to give the guy false hope. Uh, or maybe he would come do it. Maybe he'd come do it. But, you know, what if he just kind of had a, a relapse or something and broke someone's neck in Afghanistan? You can get kind of frustrated with Afghans sometimes, you know? And, and so I wasn't quite sure what to say, and Bob kind of whispered into my ear, said, don't worry, he's got like five life sentences. This guy had killed people on literally three continents, all right? And, and, and yet, here he was, a new creation in Christ, and a prayer warrior. And he had, a, he had, you know, he had scripture all over his fingers tattooed on, <laughs> but he had, a, he had a Bible in Arabic that he, that he was reading. This guy, I, I look forward to getting to know him in, in heaven. So the Lord got a hold of his life through his tough love in prison. Well, we, we have several folks in our own church family here who have spent time behind bars. And one person who I've heard share her testimony uh, marvelously a few years ago at a Good News Jail um, banquet, I asked her if he would just, she would just briefly be willing to share this morning. I just asked her on Friday night. I uh, didn't want to give her a whole lot of time to say no. So, Melinda Ruth, uh, would you be willing to share with us, sister? Um, gentleman in the back, she's, she's going to use the uh, orange mic up here. If you guys would unmute that, please. That'd be great. Thank you, Melinda. Yeah, just come on. You can just stand up here if you like, and okay. I'll stand with you. Hi, church family. <laughs> um, yeah, so, and he asked me when we were about to get food, so he knew, like, <laughs> that was a good time to Waited get Waited for the opportune moment. <laughs> yeah, so I you know, into substance abuse and a lot of other sin and um, didn't have any real, you know, godly people um, pouring into my life. So, um, you know, doing my own thing, um, got arrested one night and um, I really was not trying to do the jailhouse religion, stayed away from the church, didn't want to read any kind of Bible or gospel stuff. I was looking to a lot of time. Um, I had a lot of anxiety, um, uh, you know, my, my kids were, you know, my parents came and, and got my kids and, you know, I just purchased a house and I mean, I was just, you know, my mind was just racing with everything and um, I had a bunkie. Um, so a bunkie is someone that you sell a, you share a, a cell or a, a bunk bed with. <laughs> and uh, she asked if she could pray for me and I said yes. And um, she prayed for me to have peace of mind. and immediately my mind stopped and I didn't ask for it um, didn't deserve it and uh, he gave it to me and from then on I started reading I was really hungry for like you know what what could give me this and um, started reading my Bible my dad brought me a Bible um, reading daily devotionals and um, he was just speaking to me like he knew my situation at that moment and um, from then he, he just knew what it would take to reach me. And even though I didn't want to turn to him because I thought it was just kind of, you know, real convenient to, you know, be, be a Christian now in, in jail, um, taking advantage of the situation, um, he was still pursuing me. Um, I thought at one point, I was like, yeah, I'm doing good, you know, you know, the works thing and, and you know, I'm following him. I had been in uh, county for about eight months and, um, I thought I was going to get out. I thought I was going to get a suspended sentence. You know, I'm, I'm 
believing in God and, and these things and uh, got sentenced to seven years. And um, he even shielded me from that. But when I went on to prison, it was just more, he was, you know, teaching me to fast and memorize his word and um, just really just trusting him, getting rooted in his, in his word. Um, and uh, Bible studies, I mean, in there, there's just, you know, all these ministries that come in and pour into you. And, but, but he was the, the constant um, presence, uh, the constant truth. He was, you know, purging a lot of stuff out of me, my sin, a lot of the things that I, um, my characteristics, things that I, you know, just loved and held on to so much and uh, started replacing them with his character. Um, and, you know, he, he just knew what I needed. And, you know, for, for God to come to me at my lowest point when I had nothing to offer him. I didn't deserve it. I didn't even ask for it. Um, but for him to allow me to have that time, even though it's not something I would have chose for myself, you know, I thought I was good, you know, after nine months. But, you know, he, he knew that I needed a few more years, um, ended up doing about six years. And, uh, you know, he was able to purge a lot out of me and really teach me to trust him, um, trust his word. He was, um, there was many times that I would read, you know, something in his word. I was going through Proverbs every single day, um, going through all the Proverbs. Um, I did that for several years. And he would just, like, tangibly, I could see his word play out right in front of me. And he knew that's what I needed to, to really trust him. Um, so, you know, there, there is a ministry in there. You have a captive audience, you know. Y'all know the word. Y'all know how to love people. And uh, that's the only qualifications you need to, you know, be able to minister to people. Hurting people, broken people um, that, you know, are at their lowest point don't think that they're any use for anything else. And uh, Carrie King, um, he's the one that facilitates, I think, a lot of the prison ministry stuff. Um, and if y'all have any other questions, you know, about what you can pray for, I mean, I'm open, I'm an open book, y'all know I, I talk about it a lot, um, you know, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who walk, you know, walk in the spirit and not in the flesh for those who are in Christ Jesus, and, um, you know, there's no shame in, you know, where God's brought me from, and, uh, you know, we need to really, like Ken was saying, we need to encourage each other and show that God can, like, reach, reach us in different ways, like, he's, he's a, you know, he's a redeemer, he's a miracle worker, he, can, you know, we can't put him in a box to think that, you know, he's, you know, he only reaches people one way, but I mean, he, he's just so versatile with everything and all our needs. So, yeah. Thank you, Melinda. You know, th there are a lot of folks who do, she mentioned jailhouse religion, right? There's a lot of people who make a profession of faith in Christ and they may actually even be sincere in their context and, and then get out and fail to find a Christian community who will really welcome them in and then very quickly fall back into old habits and end up in a second or a third time, right? And so by, by God's grace, um, uh, Melinda and her husband, Paul, both, uh, both got out from different backgrounds, different, different jails, different prisons, and have been walking with the Lord and have been faithful and are, are raising a family with us and, and ministering to us so praise God for his work of redemption in your life, and thank you for sharing with us this morning. His, his word is sufficient. It is. His word is sufficient. Amen. Thank you.
Well, if you're just joining us this morning, we have been walking through his word, through the, the epistle to the Hebrews, and we're just looking at one verse this morning in, in Hebrews chapter 13. This final chapter is really kind of this, this practical chapter, like how do we apply all, this, all of this deep theology that we've been working through and trying to understand. And, and this verse says, remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, for you also are in the body. And so, three parts of the sermon, really just the three parts of this verse. The first is that we are to remember those who are in prison. And that, that word remember, mimnaskeste in Greek, means to be mindful. We should be mindful of those in prison. It's the opposite of out of sight, out of mind. And so it, it implies that we, we're to think about those who are in prison with a compassion that brings about an active response. Well, one, one way that our, our church tries to do this is by supporting the, the Good News Jail Ministry. For over 20 years, Chaplain John Lennon served at Okaloosa County Jail. In fact, he and, and his team ministered, had, had a part in in Melinda's story of how the Lord brought the gospel to her. And, 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 and today, uh, today now Josiah Aldridge, who has preached here in this pulpit before, Josiah now is the chaplain in, in, the, in, in the Okaloosa County Jail. Uh, John Lennon last year retired. And, and so one, one thing that to me is just such a, such a blessing, even as a pastor here, knowing that if somebody makes some bad decisions, and, and we all know that that we're no better than anyone else, but sin will always take you further than you want to go, and, and keep you, and it'll take you further than you, you ever you ever thought it would, and it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And 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 sometimes, God's arresting grace comes with a physical arrest and, and landing in a place like prison. And what what I love is the fact that I know that at at least Broad River, or not Broad River, I'm sorry, Oklahoma County Jail. I know that there. Folks have an opportunity to hear the true gospel of Jesus Christ because Josiah and his team are there to share with people. And they are, they, they, don't, they don't water anything down. They give them the true gospel, which includes God's holiness and justice and his sovereignty and the fact that, that we are indeed sinners. But there is a great Savior who, who died on the cross for our sins. And so they, I love the fact that that there is a place where the grace of his truth exists. And, and you know, Chaplain Aldridge is not, uh, he doesn't get any government money. He's actually there as a, as a sent one, supported by churches, but he's got the keys to the place. And, and the reason he does is because John Lennon had such, a, such years of influence there to where the, 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 the administration, the, the, our, our sheriff, the, the, the whole prison system, the, 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 the guards there love him and appreciate him and want him there. So he's got a whole bunch of keys and he has incredible access. And if you want to get involved, go, go, talk, to, go talk to Kerry King and he can connect you with Josiah. And there are a lot of opportunities. I, I had the chance when I first came on six years ago as, as pastor here at Rocky, John Lennon called me up and said, hey, I got a Bible study I want you to come teach on, on Thursdays. And it was awesome. I, I, every Thursday I'd go down there and it was, they, they let me in. Two, I get two hours with a group of about 20 men who were sitting forward in their seats, like asking questions, doing the homework. Nobody was sleeping. 
And no offense, any of you sleepers out there. And, and these guys were all in, were like eager. And, 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 and I mean, it was just such, there's such a hunger for the, the word. And, and some of you have gone in at Christmas time. And in the past, we've gone in and done Easter services. And hey, this year, when we, we Lord willing, we'll get to go in there and, and do some Christmas caroling and, and just minister the gospel through songs and prayer. And uh, man, I, I hope that maybe if you've never done that before, You'll take that step of faith and, and, come and come and join us. Other people in our church will grade Bible studies. And, and, it, and it develops like a long-term relationship. All right? And again, if you're interested in this, Carrie, where are you? I don't know if I've seen you. Raise your hand. Okay. Carrie King back there. All right? Uh, tall, good-looking gentleman with the gray hair back there. All right? Talk to him afterwards, and he can help connect you because there's a lot of guys and, 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 and ladies as well who do weekly Bible studies. They basically send them out. Um, and, and so Carrie distributes them to different people who grade for the same person so you actually can build a relationship via proximity. They're not allowed to have email or anything like that or phones, but you can write a note back and encourage them in their walk with the Lord. And you know, one of the things that we just, we just they just had a, a, a prison banquet on Friday night, and, and this is where I again asked Belinda, uh, she was just trying to tuck into her dinner, uh, hey, if she would give her testimony. But one of the things they really emphasized was the importance of letting them in. And that is receiving folks in churches after they get out. That, that is the biggest need. They have a lot more volunteers willing to come in, frankly, than churches that are really willing to do what it takes to receive people into their hearts, provide the accountability that they need, okay, to, to do life with them when they get out such that they can relaunch. And so let, let's, let's, I, let's endeavor to be a place like that. A place that's willing to do the extra work of accountability, but willing to bring people in who have made some, some big mistakes and to recognize that we're all in the same boat as sinners. We have a great, a great Savior. So there are opportunities for us to do prison ministry through the Okaloosa County, or through the Good News Jail Ministry at Okaloosa County Jail uh, that we support as a church. Um, but here in the context of, of Hebrews 13, uh, uh, the context of, of the prisoners and the prisons that, that mystery man here who wrote this, this letter is talking about, things look a little different. And, and that is that, that oftentimes back in the day in the, in the early Roman Empire, people were jailed for very short times and then they became slaves. That's how it worked. So you normally did not spend years doing a sentence you might be in for a few weeks or a few months, and normally, not all, if somebody could, could buy you back, could, could purchase you, redeem you, you'd have a shot. But if that didn't happen, you, you were, your next spot was as a slave, probably for the rest of your life. And, and, and the reason for that is often people were, people were jailed for debts, for, for falling into debt that they couldn't pay, and so you went to debtor's prison. Now, there were, sometimes it was for faith, and in this case, uh, that was certainly uh, a, a, a real part. But, but oftentimes, uh, the jails had far worse conditions where you weren't given three square meals a day. All right? In fact, in a lot of these Roman prisons, especially out in the provinces, you weren't given any food. And your survival depended on people coming and being willing to bring food to you on a daily basis. And there are places today in the world that are like that. I remember a running route I had, one of my jogging routes, when I was in Mozambique, Africa, went right by the, the jail. And, and guys would yell at me through the, 
through the bars, and there were a lot of people in there through the windows. And, and they were often calling out for things like food. Well, the early church had a reputation for caring well for their own in prison. We read in the Apology of Aristides, which is extra-biblical ancient literature, uh, written about the Christians by a non-Christian. He wrote, If they hear that any of their number is imprisoned or oppressed for the name of their Messiah, all of them provide for his needs. And if it is possible that he may be delivered, they deliver him. In other words, they, they, they collect and pony up big money to try to keep them from going into slavery and, and to, to bring them home. Now, now the, the Hebrew Christians that this letter was written to had already been commended for caring well for their incarcerated brothers and sisters. A few months back, I think it was Pastor Bill preached through Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 34, in which the writer says, but recall the, the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So, so what he's talking about here are people who were members of the church who had actually been arrested for their faith in Christ and helping them, like bringing food to them, visiting them, came at a potentially steep price. And that would be being identified as a fellow Christian, which meant that you might face persecution yourself. You might have your property plundered. You might even end up behind bars yourself. But these Hebrew Christians had done well. But they needed encouragement, as we often do, to endure in that kind of faithfulness. And so he writes, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. Pastor Kent Hughes explained that here we see the preacher giving his people a profound prod to a sub of sublime empathy. An empathy so deep that they would will to project themselves into the inner life of those suffering mistreatment and imprisonment. Maybe you've had that experience. I, I, I have. Just about a week after our family moved from Afghanistan to London, there was a, a raid done by the government. This was under the Karzai administration, whom we propped up with billions of dollars and a lot of blood, right? There was a, there was a fantastic raid done subsequently, I, I mean, at the same time, on my house and on the house of Dr. Luke, who was an Afghan believer, okay? And there was an actual house church meeting going on in my home, and the target was actually a, a South African brother named Petrus, who um, had actually moved into my house uh, after, after we left, a, a dear brother. He, he was one of my closest friends, he and his wife, Liesl, uh, their, their daughter, Esmerie and Grace, were best friends. And they knew that Petrus had been a part of a, of a, of a leading a Bible study, the group of Afghan believers, they had the goods on him. One of them was a mole. And that same mole had turned in Dr. Luke, who, who had incriminating evidence. He had Bibles in diary in his home. 
And you would have thought that Luke was like a high-value terrorist, the way it wasn't a couple guys who went up and knocked on his door. I mean, we're talking about 30 members of the, of the uh, secret police going over his walls, you know, making a big deal out of it. Uh, Petrus ended up in, in jail for about a month in pretty bad conditions. Luke was in for several months in some really bad jails, um, and he was tortured for his faith simply because he was a father of Jesus Christ. And I was safe in England. But talk about like survivor's guilt, all right? Uh, I can tell you, when I went back, my first trip back in Afghanistan, I, I wondered if my name was on a list. And they had a list at the airport they were checking before they let people leave. And I really wondered if they were going to let me leave or not. And incredibly, I wasn't on the list. But I'll tell you what, um, in England, my heart felt like I was in jail with Petrus and Luke. And I, I couldn't rest Unless I knew that I was doing everything I could possibly do. And I, I had to realize that the greatest thing I could do was pray and ask others to pray. I mean, I, I did my best. I had some contacts and connections. I milked every one of those to see what I could do to help if there's any, any way I could help, potentially help them get out. It was hard to rest. I felt like I was in there with them. And some of you experienced these feelings here at Rocky just a few years ago when, when our brother Mike Wilde was imprisoned in Southeast Asia. And today we, we have the joy of, of praying them off again as they return to the field. Well, we prayed hard during those weeks that our brother Mike was locked up. In fact, our, our Wednesday night prayer meeting, which frankly was paltry and still is not well attended. Okay, it's now virtual. But suddenly it blossomed, right? We had a big circle of people here just praying every Wednesday night together, begging God to, to release Mike, well, prayers and, and letters and, and visits when possible bring great encouragement to brothers and sisters who are incarcerated in prison. At, at the very end of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 28, we, we see Paul finally arrive after this journey to Rome. And, and there he ends, this, 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 this great book of Acts ends with Paul in house arrest in Rome, but he was able to be regularly visited by believers and open-minded Jews, and so he was able to continue his regular ministry, even though he wasn't free. And so, so the book, the, the story, really ends on a high note, even though Paul is locked up in house arrest with a guard. But then later, many years later, when we, when we look at the book of, of, of 2 Timothy, we find Paul back in Rome as a prisoner but this time in a different place, in the infamous Mamertine prison, which is really a dungeon. And here we see him fighting discouragement as many Christians had not remembered him. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, he, he, he begs Timothy. He says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And, and then a, a few verses later, he laments that many had forgotten him. And, and, and as we look at these verses, verses 15 and 17, through 17, notice how much it meant to Paul that, Ones, that Onesiphorus remembered him and, and visited him. So he writes in verse 15, you are all aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus 
and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and, and found me. So we're to remember those brothers and those sisters who are in prison. But also here, we see that Mystery Man widens that scope to Christians who are mistreated. Not only incarcerated, but mistreated. And so it might be easy to think, that's our second point this morning, remember those who are mistreated. And it might be easy to think, well, yeah, sure, I've heard about the horrible persecution of the Christians in Nero's Rome. Maybe you've seen movies where Christians were fed to the lions. Um, Maybe you've heard stories of how Nero used to light his garden with impaled Christians that he lit on fire. Right, just horrendous stuff. But you might think, hey, we live in the 21st century today. In in a country, I mean, I could see a trajectory going where things might get harder for Christians, but hey, we're still free, right? We're meeting freely, um, you know, uh, we're, we're able to say what we think. Well, today, more Christians are mistreated than ever in history. And that may be hard for us to wrap our mind around right here in, in the community in which we live. But today, more Christians, members of our family, spiritually, are mistreated than ever in history. Now, now sometimes it's not specific persecution because they're Christians. Sometimes it's things like racism towards minority groups. And, and Christians are just caught up in that mix of suffering. So I'm thinking of 1994, not very long ago, there was the Rwandan genocide in which the majority Hutus massacred more than 800,000 minority Tutsis and and many Christians suffered and, and died at the hand of those machetes. In the 1990s in Afghanistan, that the Pashtuns committed genocide against thousands of Hazaras, lining them up against walls and just summary executions because of their ethnicity. And, and, and today, the Pashtuns are back in power under the, the Taliban, right? And the Hazara people, are the, they're actually descendants of Genghis Khan, and that's why they're despised so much, you know, a long history, right? But, but the, 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 the Hazaras have been actually the most open group in the country out of all the ethnic groups, the most open tribe to Christianity. And so there's a number of Hazaras that are just caught up in this, Christians who are caught up in this. Some of them have been able to flee, but many have not, and who are suffering persecution because of their ethnicity. And you know, just, I, I have to say this so that we don't just think, well, it's way over there on the other side of the world. Just 60 years ago in this very part of our own nation, Jim Crow laws enforced the segregation of image bearers. And and those people who resisted this wicked practice were often imprisoned. And some of them were even lynched by mobs. And so, you know, if, if Voice of the Martyrs had been around back then, and if they were doing their job well, they would have recorded hundreds of stories of persecuted Christians because of the wickedness in the hearts and the laws of our own society and our own nation. And you know, this, when I think of this, this, this grieves me. It wasn't very long ago, and I have to ask myself, wh- which side would I have been on back then? W- would I have 
remembered my mistreated brothers and sisters 60 years ago. And so it's true that, that, that racism is often a, a contributor to the persecution of Christians, the suffering of Christians in the world, but oftentimes many Christians are persecuted specifically because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so watchdog groups like Voice of the Martyrs and Open Doors tell us that every month in the world today, 322 Christians are killed for their faith. Specifically, not, not because of political or ethnic reasons, but specifically because they are following Jesus Christ. And 722 acts of violence are committed against Christians every month. And by that, they mean beatings and abductions and rapes and arrests and forced marriages. So if you kind of crunch the numbers, what, what that means is that since our service began about an hour ago, one act of violence has happened to a brother and sister, or a brother or sister in the world, because of their faith. And, and since Sunday schools or ABFs began, at least one Christian has been martyred, has been killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. According to the Pew Research Center, over 75% of the world's population live in areas with severe religious restrictions, and, and many of these people are Christians. According to the United States Department of State, Christians in more than 60 countries today face persecution from their governments or surrounding neighbors simply because of their belief in Jesus Christ. Now, in some of these places, like, for instance, China, you have a society that's actually not that opposed to the gospel, right? In China, it's not that hard to build a relationship with somebody and, and share Christ. The, the issue is the government that's spying on everybody. And, and we've seen over the last few years uh, a major uptick in persecution, not only against Christians, even more against Muslim minority groups, but also against Christians. But then there are other places in the world, like India, for instance, where the government, now we are seeing a little more um, of a return to fascism within Hindu fascism uh, going on in, in, in India today. But for the most part, the government as a democracy hasn't been the prime persecutor, but it's been the culture and the society where, where it's a place where to turn away from Hinduism and to, to, to embrace Jesus Christ uh, results in, at the very least, ostracism from family and sometimes far worse. Well, Jesus said in John 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. In other words, be encouraged. You're, you're, you're following after me here. You're drinking of my cup. He says, if you're of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Calvin wrote, we cannot be Christ's soldiers on any other condition than to have the greater part of the world rising in hostility against us and pursuing us even to death. The state of the matter is this, Satan, the prince of the world, will never cease to fill his followers with rage, to carry on hostilities against the members of Christ. One Egyptian brother, who was actually a new believer, a new follower of Christ, he reflected uh, on his persecution. And he said that in great suffering, you discover a different Jesus than you do in normal life. 
Pain and suffering bring up to the surface all of the weak points of your personality. In my weakest state, I I had an incredible realization that Jesus loved me even right then. And so Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. But, but the truth is that when you're being hurt by somebody, it, it is easy to forget that you are blessed by God. And, and that's why we need to remember our persecuted brothers and sisters in our prayers. Open, Open Doors Ministry writes that prayer is the ultimate fellowship. Let me say that again. Prayer is the ultimate fellowship. They write that many persecuted Christians often feel isolated and alone since they're unable to fellowship with other believers. However, prayers from Christians half a world away have brought the same amount of encouragement that fellowship would have for these persecuted Christians. Now, stop for a minute. Did you catch that? They can feel your prayers. Many, many testimonies of persecuted Christians have said such. That they felt, they knew people were praying for them. Even though they may have never met them before. Even though they weren't in the same room. So prayer is vital, not only as a direct line to God, but as a way to encourage our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. So we have a responsibility. And that's the point that he closes the verse with. And this is our third point this morning. Remember that you also are in the body. You also are in the body. You see, we Christians enjoy a bond of brotherhood and and sisterhood. We talked about this last week that, that frankly the world longs for. This is a great privilege we have, but it's a responsibility and it means that we have to purpose to go against our culture's bent towards individualism and to actually be the body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, Paul writes to the Corinthians and he talks about how the body of Christ is like a human body. And so he writes, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less of a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, and yet one body. And then he goes on and he talks about how, how one member of the body should never think, hey, I don't need this other part of the body, because we're all interconnected, and we need one another. And so then he says in verse 26, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And so what that means is, hey, when I hurt my back, you know what? It wasn't just my back that was hurting. I was hurting. In Romans chapter 12, 
Verse 5, Paul says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. And this means that we must remember, and weep with, and, and pray for, and, and do our best to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ who are either imprisoned or who are mistreated. And remember that, that Jesus actually tied our ministry to our oppressed brothers and sisters to our ministry to himself. He said in Matthew 25, verse 35, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. We talked about that last week, with hospitality. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. We read in verse 37 that, that, that the, 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 the righteous are like, when did, when did that happen? I don't remember ever visiting you in prison, Jesus. They said, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and, and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Well, as we, as we land the plane here this morning, a, a few of you in this room have actually spent some time in jail. And you've seen God work in your life through it. More of you in this room have actually encouraged people, visited people, written to people who are in jail. And therefore, you have ministered to Christ. But everybody in this room, all of us, who know Jesus. If, if you have been born again into a living faith in Jesus, you know that once upon a time, you were spiritually in prison. That, that's true because all of us are in the same boat. So if you're, if you're just visiting with us, maybe, maybe it's a little bit, um, you know, you come into this place, you look around, you're like, man, I'm, you know, I'm trying to get these people. Uh, am, I, am I like them? You know, are they like me? You know, everybody's kind of dressed up nice. Well, you know what? We are all in the same boat. Every one of us are sinners. All right? Every one of us are sinners. Every one of us have, of us have things that, that we are ashamed of, that we wish we could go back in time and do differently and change. All right? But if we're in Christ, we know that we have a great Savior. We have an incredible Savior who gave his lifeblood on the cross for that very sin that we are so ashamed of. Right? He is a liberator and he has freed us from the death chain of sin. So I want to encourage you, if you're just visiting with us, um, if, if you don't yet know this Jesus in your own heart, today's the day that you can be freed from that chain that's, that's hanging on to you, around your leg, that's, that's slowing you down, that's actually keeping you locked up inside. He'll free you if you call out to him in faith. If you believe that he died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead and you call out to him and you mean it, you're willing to follow him, forsake everything else and, and give your heart to him, he will, he will free you. And he is an awesome master. The, the prophet Isaiah foretold of our liberator. He, he said that the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. 
We're going to bow our, 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 our heads here and, and, and spend a little bit of time in, in prayer. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this in prayer. Um, and as I do, let me invite the deacons and those who will be serving communion to us to, to come forward. We're going to have a time in which I want to encourage you to spend some time in reflection. There'll be some music. There'll be some, uh, some, some time to sing as, as, as our deacons pass out the elements. Um, and, and, but during this time, I want you to examine your heart. And, and Christian, if there's some unconfessed sin in your life, now is the time to confess that to the Lord. And if you don't know the Lord, I encourage you just to pass. We will, we will respect you for that. We thank you for being with us today. But this is a, a meal for us to have fellowship with Christ and with all of those who know him throughout time and throughout space. Okay, a time of communion. And so this is reserved for those who have given their hearts to Jesus Christ. And I do want to just say this. Um, we are excited to be able to return to a, a time of, uh, in our community service, to actually kind of the old school elements, the way we used to do it, you know, actually passing a plate. We're, we're kind of uh, excited about that. However, if you're up in the balcony, uh, my apologies. Um, we didn't have enough servers, right, uh, this morning. And, and so next month we'll try to, uh, we'll try to recruit more. But we, we have kind of the, 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 uh, some of the, the little packs. So if you haven't had a chance to grab one, uh, we've got those by the, by the door up there. Or, hey, if you really want to get back to, like, real bread, um, feel free to come on down here and, and, and grab, grab a couple as we pass them out, and, and you can take them back up there. So um, deacons, come on forward as, as, as we pray, and, uh, and then they're going to serve communion um, uh, this morning to us and, and as we prepare our hearts to, to worship him um, by partaking of his, of his supper. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the grace of the gospel. There's hard news in it, that we are sinners, that, that we are actually chained. Uh, we're death-bound, hell-bound sinners in need of saving. And there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. No, no pile of acts can undo our offense to your holiness. But Lord, we thank you that Jesus Christ is our hero and, and our savior and our liberator who broke that chain of death when he rose from the grave. And he paid the price that your holiness demanded when he gave himself on the cross and cried out, it is finished. So help us to look to him this morning and this week. Help us, Lord, to, to follow him with all of our hearts, for he is worthy. And I pray in his name. Amen.